0: You know, a parable is an interesting thing. In the the first well, in Jesus' time, instead of having movie clips and movies and TV and whatever, to entertain each other, they'd sit around and tell parables, tell stories. And often they would do that both not just as a speaking tool, but just to entertain. So it's not at all a surprise as Jesus, uh, as we come across this particular situation that Jesus is doing uh, in this particular gospel, that he does that with these quote unquote, religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were all religious leaders. They might be called, maybe stretching the context a tad, they might be called the religious right today uh, in some ways, in some cases. um, Certainly there's some similarities there. Um, So they're giving him a hard time in this particular gospel. I did this last week. For just real quick, I'll do it again in case you missed that. There are basically four Gospels. Many of you know that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, giving a synopsis of Jesus' life. Each one of the writers writes about life with Jesus from his perspective. Some things impressed one, didn't impress another, so forth and so on. John, of course, is different. John starts off in chapter 2 talking about the wedding of Canaan, Jesus' first miracle. It's not a synopsis of Jesus' life. It's about the deity of Jesus, And that's what, you know, one of the things that, I don't know if you ever heard this or not, Billy Graham uh, used to always, still always says, that uh, tells people when they first come to faith, the first thing they should do is read the New Testament book of the Gospel of John. And the reason for that is because the Gospel of John really deals with the deity of Jesus. And that's a great, and that's a great, some great advice. But the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are synoptic Gospels, a synopsis of Jesus' life. Luke was the physician, very technical, in his writing—I mentioned this last week—is very difficult to read um, in the original. But uh, he writes about this particular incident, as does uh, as does one of the other uh, gospel writers. But this parable is happening because the, the the scribes and the Pharisees, the really quote unquote churchy religious people of the time, are giving Jesus a hard time because they're saying all you do is hang out with these 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 hopeless sinner you know, immoral type people, non-dignified, non-churched type people. So Jesus is illustrating in a parable form why he does that. Thus, he comes upon this particular, he, he gives this particular parable. It's a story. Now, the, you need to know this. His point, Jesus' point in this story is very simple, and that is that no matter who, who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how big of a jerk you might be, it's never too late to repent. So that's the Christian, the religious word, to turn from your ways and to come to God the Father. It's never too late. And that's what he's illustrating to these scribes and these Pharisees and to these religious people. And he uses a story of this father who has two sons to illustrate this to him. That the, and again, the point is that God's love is unconditional it is, and it, it has nothing to do with who we are or what we've done or haven't done or whatever. God's love is unconditional for us. And that's who the Father represents in this particular parable. So the love and the forgiveness and the grace of our, of our, of our, whole, of our Heavenly Father, that is the overriding theme here. However, I'm going to pick out a subplot. Because there are several verses that talk about that. And then there's a couple of verses that talk about another guy in this particular parable, in the scenario. He is the older brother. We don't know his name. We know he's the older brother. And uh, you're going to see him. And uh, some of you will relate to him. Maybe you're not an older brother, but you will relate to him. Some of you will not. Some of you will relate to the prodigal. Uh, All of us, hopefully, can relate to a father's love. More on that in a moment. But watch this. Watch what happens. And let's just pick up the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further with these scribes and Pharisees, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now. Instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Interesting, as I was reading that this morning in the early service, I kind of peeked up a little bit as I was reading it, and I saw one, one... early 20s son sitting beside his father who has, uh, you know, been pretty successful. And I saw him whisper something to him. <laughs> and I'd caught him afterwards. And I said, I saw that. I saw what you said. And the dad said to me, what he doesn't understand is he's getting none of it. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, so that may, uh, may uh, bring up some uh, things to talk about there. I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Watch this. Watch this verse. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. That's very significant. The boy became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. And no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. Let me just stop there a minute. Where is the last place in the world you expect a good young Jewish boy to be in this particular time of history? Near a pig! I mean, pork. I mean, it's the deal. It's not like Rich go feed the pigs, which I heard many times in my childhood because we had pigs. Okay, it's not like that kind of deal. It was like, this is just, and, and you understand when these scribes and Pharisees are hearing the story, they're like, oh my gosh. He went and just got down with the pigs. I mean, it's not, it's not like going with the sheep. It's the pigs. That's, that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal to the people hearing the story. So, verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired men have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. I love this part. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Embraced him and kissed him. He said his son said to him, "Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He's experiencing true what we would call repentance. A ch- repentance means a change of heart, a change of mind. He's experiencing the real thing here. He's taken one third of his father's inheritance. Let me back up just for a moment and explain that to you In the according to the Levitical law. Uh, according to the book of Levi's, uh, of, of Leviticus, excuse me, uh, the Levitical law, um, the oldest son got two-thirds of his father's inheritance. The younger son got one-third of his father's inheritance. Um, and the sisters? Uh, that's not a subject we want to talk about. This is Father's Day. We want to be, no. Um, you know, Jesus changed, it. side note, totally off the subject, Jesus changed all that. Jesus changed all that when he came along and for the first Rabbi, the first teacher ever to recognize females as human beings and not the possession of a male, not some other kind of substandard human, but to recognize their worth as a person. Jesus was the first one. When you find that in the gospel accounts, the first one. And the apostle Paul comes along and confirms that when he says, which was revolutionary, we are all equal we're all one in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile or male or female. So I mean, that's just pretty significant stuff. So if you've got any uh, hard feelings about that, don't blame Jesus. Don't blame the New Testament. Blame some chauvinistic pig of a man. Okay, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just, let's just say it for what it's worth um, or what, the way it is. Um, so anyway, he, he's taken one third. He's taking his third. He's blown it. He's back. He says, that's it. You know, came to a census. Even the hired men have food enough to spare. All right. Now, look in verse 22. We got that coming up here? I don't know where I am on this thing. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I love this. Let's throw a party. Let's have a party. This is a great, this is a great day. This is a great thing that's going on here. All right. And uh, and that's that's just that's what he does. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, back at the ranch. You ready for this? Verse twenty-five. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He's what the heck's going on? Here? He asked one of the servants, "What's going on there? Your brother's back." He was told, "You know, I kind of think that your brother's back." and like, "Your brother's back." He was told, and your father's killed the calf, we were fattening and has prepared a great feast and we are celebrating because of his safe return. Big brother's not too happy about this. Big brother has sat there and been faithful and worked hard and not asked for anything that wasn't his and done his duty so to speak. And all of a sudden you see what's happening. Well look what happens, next verse, verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, and he replied, All these years I worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast, with my friends. Yeah, when his son of yours, look, the son, at not my brother, when the son of yours, isn't that interesting little, uh, the son of yours, your wife ever do that to you? Well, that child of yours, hmm, I thought we had that child together, honey. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we've all experienced that a little bit, right? He says, he says, when the son of yours comes back from squandering your, his, your, money, your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. His father said to him, look, look, dear son. I mean, this is an amazing story. It's Father's Day. Can I confess? That kid might have felt the backside of my hand about that time. And I'm not saying I would have been right. But I, if not the backside of my hand, he would have felt the, the, some, some, some harsh words because I would have said something like, you little butthead, what is your problem? Or something worse, you know. He didn't do that. This is a great father. Look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he is found. Now, I don't know what all went on in Big Brother's mind here. There are many reasons. There are many legitimate reasons that he may have been so upset after, you know, seeing his brother come back and all the loose living that he had done, the womanizing, the the alcohol-saturated life that he had apparently lived or something therein, all the drug, sex, and, well, not rock and roll because there's nothing wrong with rock and roll, but you understand the point. All the stuff that he'd been a part of. There's many reasons why Big Brother could have been upset. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was mad because he heard it from a servant and Dad didn't come tell him. Maybe he was mad because he had lived a large part of his life in the northeastern part of the United States and was very cynical. Maybe it was because, <laughs> maybe it was because he he had had, had maybe it's because he wasn't invited to the party. I can relate to that. I'm one of those guys. We drive down our street and if people are having a party and I'm not invited. I'm like, how can they have a party not inviting me, Charlie? How can they do that? We were walking by a house the other night. I said, Charlie, you're having a party. They didn't invite us. She said, I know. Isn't she, and we're just obvious. She says, isn't that great? I said, no, it's not great. They need to invite us. <laughs> so I watch out for you. I go by your houses all the time. Everybody, I know where you live. You know? Maybe he's mad about that. You know, I did that. Really, no kidding. One time I did that with one of our neighbors who comes here. And, and, uh, and I, I saw their lights were on. and I walked by and, 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 and I, I called him. I said, are you guys having a party over there? <laughs> And you didn't invite me. I did that. And uh, so now they call whenever they're having people over. just say, we're not having a party. We're just having some friends over. So anyway, I don't know. Anyway, maybe that, maybe he's got that thing going for him. I'm not sure exactly where, he, where he, why he's angry, but he's angry. But one thing we do know about this, because the text is very clear, and Luke is very clear in his writing, and that is this. He, he is ticked. Because he followed the rules, and little brother didn't, and now little brother is the star of the show. That's the bottom line right there. And, and you know what's interesting? When you, when you look at that, he equated work to being acceptable to his father. Because see what he says? When, when he goes through that whole thing, uh, he says, I uh, don't if we still have it up there or not. It's in verse um, Verse 29, do I still have verse 20? I can't see that from here. Verse 29, he says, He replied, All these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing. He equates, he equates his relationship to his father by what he has done. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious people. He doesn't condemn them, he just says, That's not what we're looking for here. So here's, what I, here's my challenge on a couple of, couple of things. Big brother, big brother says, I deserve better. I deserve better because I've worked hard. He has, in, in the words of many commentators, if not all, he has this Pharisaical attitude. And, and it's because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about this that he's bringing this up. And the story is about a heavenly father who loves us unconditionally. The story is about some of us who, who, who go listen to the call of the wild, as the song says, so to speak. But the story is also about the guy who stays and does all the right stuff. But he, it's just work to him. And he, it's, it's, his heart's not there or anything else. So here's what I've done. I read this book not too long ago. And it's a great book. And I've got all this information on our website, Action Steps. It will be up tomorrow. Take a look at it and, and tell you how to get this and another book about this. This is called the 12 Steps for the Recovering Pharisee Like Me. Okay, It's uh, sort of written in parody, but not really parody, of, of, a, of uh, not making fun of a 12-step program. But we use 12-step programs to overcome addictions. He's, he's, he's comparing being a Pharisee to an addiction. I think he's right. Some of it's humorous, but it's very true as well. So I got the idea from here, and you, I've got all the information about that book on the website, which, as I said, will be up tomorrow on Action Steps. So what I did was I took, I took an abbreviated version of the 12. I took some of his. I put some of my ideas in there, and I came, I came away with this. Rich's Revised Abbreviated 12-Step Program for Older Brother Pharisees. Okay. And you know, if you know me very well, it's not going to be 12 steps. It's going to be six because I like things simple, you know, and I, you know, by number eight or nine, I'm drifting off somewhere else. So I want to just do six real quick ones. Some of these, some of these come from the book. Some of these I've made up. So, uh, and, and we'll start off with just trying to figure out if you're one of these older brother Pharisees. I like to listen to sermons thinking of all the people in my life that need to hear this. It's a good sign. You might be a little Pharisee, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great, he needs that. Yeah. He needs that. Yeah. No, I don't need that. Heck no, I'm fine, baby. Um, I like this one too. I, this is, came from me. I have a total inability to appreciate the struggles of another that I can't relate to. If I don't struggle with it, no one should. If others, on the other hand, somehow can't relate to my struggles, they're insensitive, arrogant, pharisaical buttheads. Okay? If they can't, if they can't relate to my problems, they're bad. But if I can't relate to them, well, nobody should struggle with that problem they're struggling with. You know, I say that kind of humorously, but it's true sometimes. Because if you, for instance, if you're a person who doesn't have a problem with alcohol and you have a friend who has a problem with alcohol, you say, what's the problem? I don't have that problem. How come I got that problem? But then for somehow, maybe someone needs to confront you about gossip, you know, or something else. You know, you understand the point here. Let's get serious, a little more serious. We need, we need to admit that our single most unmitigated pleasure is to judge other people. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a sign of a good Pharisee, isn't it? I really, and, and you know what? There's a little bit of that in all of us, like judging other people. That's kind of fun. Makes me look better and makes them look bad and I'm so cool. You know, I, I will embrace, there's some must-dos. I will embrace the belief that we are and always will be experts at sinning. That's all of us, baby. That's all of us determined to rid yourself of any attitude not bathed not totally saturated in gratitude. The Bible tells us over and over again be grateful, be thankful, be grateful. What's the first thing that happens when we start being Pharisaical, looking looking down on others, we're looking at them, we're not we're not thinking about gratitude in our own lives. Engrave this, engrave engrave in my mind this thought. We're all prodigals. People teach the prodigal son lots of times. They say, oh, let's go out into the highways and byways of Summit and Short Hills and Chatham and Maplewood and whatever, ever, all the area here and whatever and bring in all those prodigals. Bring them all in. Well, that's a good concept. But here, here's one little thing about that. There's a whole bunch of prodigals sitting in here right now. And if we look at them differently than who we are, We've got a Pharisee attitude. And by the way, there's a huge prodigal standing up on the platform every Sunday, at least when I'm here, okay? Lost, totally lost without Jesus. Amen. But by God's grace, there we go, for all of us. I want to do something a little different. I'm not necessarily an art uh, critic or aficionado, if that's the right word. Um, is that the right word? Something... Officiate, whatever it is, um, but there are some. There are some. You know, I get. I get a lot of. A lot, I have some friends who just love art, and you know, we go wherever we go, different museums and stuff. And I'll say, uh, you know, I, I I got a lot. Of, one time I, there was a Monet, you know, and, I, and it's rather abstract, you know, and uh, and I'm like, meh. and they were like, how can you say that about a Monet? I said. I don't like it, okay? It's art, that's great, I don't like it. Art is the beauty of the beholder. I don't like it, okay? And so I got called, you know, they told me I had an IQ of five and all the other kind of stuff. <laughs> Some art I love, Rembrandt's art I love, I really do love. And maybe it's because I've spent my life studying the Bible and I love seeing it. I love seeing it illustrated. This is a picture that I, I, I just almost get teary-eyed whenever I see it and study it. And I got a whole, a whole book on this picture that you're going to see. And I have that information on the website, and Action Steps as well will be up tomorrow. Uh, but it's Rembrandt's, it's, it's, the, it's the, um, the prodigal. And uh, let's take a look at it. I just want you to look at it, because just, if you can see it, um, I just love this. It just illustrates everything we've been talking about, I think. I don't know, can we fade the the spotlights? Can we see it better if we fade the spotlights a minute? Does that help? Because I'd like everybody just to take a look at this, uh, just to see this just for a minute. Let me just talk about it a second. And and of course, you see the prodigal on his knees and there's his father just just, uh, loving him. Look at the older brother. Body English. Says a lot, doesn't it? Body language. Look at that. Here's the question I would ask you. When it comes to the prodigal, are you on your knees before God or are you looking down your nose? I mean, here's the, here's the, here's the older brother looking down his nose, thinking all kinds of things. And Jesus illustrated this, not, and, and this is, this is an, I want to hit some, some lessons on this. Not to condemn anybody, but to say there is a loving Father in heaven who loves us all. He didn't even condemn the guy looking down his nose. But the question for me and for you to determine when it comes to those who are wherever they are in their lost life, are we going to be on our knees before our Father, our Heavenly Father, or looking down our nose? I got real quick points to ponder. Four real simple things. It's not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Judgmentalism makes for angry, arrogant people. I didn't know the word to use. This is the only thing I could say. Judgement, being judgmental makes for angry, arrogant people, as was the case of the older brother. It's never too late. for it, it, It's never too late to run to your heavenly father. Never too late. You've never gone too far to run to your heavenly father. Doesn't care, God doesn't care about where you've been or, or what you've done or, or some of the doubts that you might have when you come to him. He's there with open arms. Number three, God's concerned more about you coming to him than why. I'm not going to tell you the prodigal's motives were all pure. He's, I'm hungry. I'm going to go back and tell God I've say, I, I believe there was a, there was a true exercise of turning from his way, a true exercise of the will. But, but in the beginning, his motive was I'm hungry. And you know what? Sometimes we come to God and our motives may not be pure. And our thoughts may not be where they ought to be. But you know what? God loves us so much. He just says, come on. Come on. I love you that much. And the other thing is, and this, this, I, I, before I leave this subject of the, of the older brother. Because some of you can relate to the older brother. I had somebody afterwards after the service, after the 930 service come up to me and say to me, and it's always interesting some of the comments that some of you make to me I mean if it's other than hey that was good or that wasn't very good uh, it was it was you don't usually say that but I mean usually it's like somebody will say something I and they said to me you really had me sweating bullets and I'm like what does that mean was that good or bad you know and then they said and this is just a real sweet person and it was a she and she says I'm the older brother you know the older brother doesn't have to be a male. I think you understand that. But here's what I want you to see. God the Father, the Father in the parable, didn't even condemn. I'm doing some condemning, and I shouldn't. God, and that's because obviously I don't have an older, I don't relate to the older brother as much as I do the prodigal. But, but, but the point being that God never does. God never condemns him. And what does he say to him? In fact, he says, my dear son, You and I are very close. And that's the fourth thing that I want you to see is God, our Father, values all His children. The prodigals and the older brothers too. I don't want to be an older brother Pharisee, but if you are, and I have been, just for the record, I have been and you have too, God still values that person as well. He he doesn't, you know, that's what's so cool about it. He doesn't throw out any of them. God's love is that big and that good and that unconditional. God, our loving Father, runs to welcome us and doesn't even condemn us when we get a little Pharisaical attitude. But we shouldn't because that's what hurts us and that's what will hurt others. And eventually that will hurt our relationship with God. It's a great story, it's a great parable. And uh, let's just ask God to, to take some of these lessons and drive them into our heart and into our lives. Let's pray together. Let's ask the band to come on up and let's, let's, let's pray together. God, these are, um, these are some valuable truths for us to learn. Help us to do that. Many of us come from different places in here. Many of us can, can relate to the older brother. Many of us can relate to the prodigal. All of us, if we really probably think through it, can relate to both. And even in some cases, even the position that you as our Father have been put in, we can even relate to that in some ways. God, I pray that we would understand and accept your grace, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. We thank you for the ability to have a relationship with you because of Jesus who came and, and suffered, who lived and suffered and died and rose again to give us life eternally and abundantly in a relationship with you, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for that. We thank you for your grace and your love for all of us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.